0: It's the offseason. That means people are getting fired and people are getting hired. We got a lot of coaching changes to cover, a lot of stuff that we'll be able to cover throughout the offseason scheme. Player personnel, coaches, uh, you know, and, and again, building for this next season. So, thanks for tuning in. We have a really good show for you, a lot of movement already, um, and we'll be able to cover some more big, big hires that will be happening in the conference as the weeks come and progress. And our thanks to Nextiva. So, uh, they've been sponsoring us th- this entire year, and we're going to keep going weekly throughout the offseason covering the Pac 12. And that's li- like literally made possible by Nextiva, um, the official communications partner of the Pac 12 and the best business phone service as chosen by U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva helps companies all over the country stay connected with customers and coworkers using one easy-to-use app. Their name is everywhere in the Pac-12. You'll see it in college basketball. you see it in college football. Uh, Bill Walton doing our commercials. If you want good business service, video conferencing, team chat, call reporting, and more for a fraction of what you pay for those services separately. And if you want to support 12-pack radio, um, check out the next steva website make great calls every day visit nextsteva.com forward slash 12 pack slash 12 pack to get started our thanks to next steva for allowing us to keep cruising throughout the off season oh
1: south kakalaka don't you dare be sour Yes, it is! For 12-Pack Radio. Get excited, y'all.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast host for Pac-12 Football News, the home of the Bader Inc. College Football Statistical Model, and your home for Pac-12 gambling advice with William Hill's Max Meyer. This is Sharp College Football Podcast. Thank you for joining us. This is Brian Conger, and you thought you weren't going to get a podcast this week. We did did the, the longest stretch in a week to not record but it is sunday night and we are recording um our apologies there's a lot going on clearly in the world um and uh and, and, and not a lot in college football to be frank but uh, we found a lot of stories a lot of coaching changes to go through and i am joined as always by rob baron sharp college football's founding guru uh the wizard of statistics how are you rob and uh and happy new year man
1: yeah happy new year to you and everyone as well i'm mean, i'm excited to be here uh, the off season has begun this is like the uh in some ways, like for beta rank wise, this is like the slow period because I have finished running the model. There's not, uh, we don't have the final recruiting rankings or the returning production numbers. So there's no projections to make. This is like uh, the dead period.
0: Our thanks to Nextiva for keeping this podcast rolling in the off season. This is why you get them, right? Because we got Nextiva. Uh, we are in the Nextiva studios and you're right. It is it is a slow time, but I do think like there, there have been a couple stories that um, have been under you know under the radar and then like super over the radar that I think got overlooked so um you know for Christmas and New Year's I had kind of taken some time off we did do our, our last podcast tying a bow on the season and then I go back and check Twitter I'm like holy crap Andy Avalos is gone uh and he is now the head coach of Boise State and I totally missed that like over the course of you know seven or eight days um so there, there's really some stories to cover and we're going to make sure to go through those um I guess to start if, if you're this is your first time listening to the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at twelve pack radio. You can subscribe to the podcast and every podcast catcher. And Rob, like, you know, I think I think we're gonna be moving and grooving a sharp college football even in the off season. Um before we start, man, what's going on over there? What, what, you got any plans coming up? Uh I mean what we'll, what
1: we'll be doing, I think, uh, heading into the, the off season this year is what we're gonna we're gonna look to get the projections out. Um, you know, and look for those at the end of February. And then I plan on trying to get through 130 teams preview videos, about 20 minutes on each team. We'll see if we can do it. You I better, think it be fun.
0: Are you going to start with UMass, the mass holes, or are you going to end with UMass? No,
1: see, like I realize, like if you do any kind of content whatsoever, like obviously like aim for your biggest audience. So, uh, I think we're going to have to like start at... Like we might have to start at the top 25 and then kind of, I don't know, we'll rotate it out. But like I, like you, unsurprisingly, the people that care the most about college football are like the Ohio State and Alabama fans of the world. So you got to get those out early. You'll get them both views.
0: <laughs> and one of the things that I'm really excited about is uh, we're going to go through some of the defensive coordinators hiring and firing and stuff that's happened in the Pac-12. We're going to go through a lot of numbers uh, today. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll, bring a bigger context to the numbers but all this stuff is on sharp college football you can look at your team's advanced stats like starting from pass defense to defensive efficiency and all the all this stuff so like all this stuff that we're going to be talking about is on sharp college com. and i guess let's just get into oregon here because um andy avalos has taken the head coaching job at boise state and that's a big opening i mean we're like I guess we can go a couple uh, ways here. I guess first is like, you know, initial reactions. And then one of the things I wanted to go through was uh, Avalos's tenure at Oregon because you had one year that was freaking awesome and another year, granted, in the middle of a pandemic. But man, it was really head scratching sometimes to watch that defense, Rob.
1: Yeah, it was, it was really, I mean, it was up and then it was way down, uh, to put it mildly. And I, I, I don't know that I think I, I came away from it thinking that Oregon needed to make a change or anything in defense. Um, but they went from, and they did sort of improve a little bit as the year went on. Uh, but, you know, going from number six, uh, you know, coming into, you know, our, uh, last season, finishing out at 25 this year. I mean, even with some of the personnel losses they had, it was a little bit of a head scratcher and they definitely had some, some times this year where they were ranked well below 25. So, I mean I, I think it is a loss for Oregon uh, I do think they have an opportunity again I mean you know anytime this happens you could go out and you make a great hire and things could be wonderful you can go out and make a bad hire and things will be bad but uh, I do like the hires that you know Cristobal has made including the avalos hires so I I think you know they have an opportunity here if some of the names that have been kicked around to to potentially even improve on you know some of what we saw this year which was was a little disappointing but there's certainly if um You know, the names that have been kicked around are certainly, it sounds like Oregon's going to, you know, be be paying some considerable dollars to to bring somebody in uh, to, to line up next to Moorhead. And, you know, it's an attractive opportunity with all the talent that they've recruited
0: in yeah, obviously, there was a lot of injuries uh, this this year. But that game against Iowa State was like kind of what we had anticipated where Iowa State had a really efficient offense, and they were just able to move. Now, there was a lot of turnovers too. I understand that. But, like if you watch the defense, uh, man, they just kind of marched down the field slowly and methodically. and um, and I kind of that I, anyway, that game was that gave me the Oregon defense in a nutshell uh, that year, where it's like they they did have a couple stops. Um, they had some big plays um you know they got in the backfield sometimes but just kind of o- over the game just allowed enough points to lose and and you know kind of saw that um in spurts sometimes they had a really good uh second half and an awful first half and anyways really herky-jerky but uh same thing on my end where i just assumed they'd keep avalos like right again it's in the middle of a pandemic they had a lot of their starters uh, leave and um and uh, Avalos was uh, somebody that I certainly thought they'd keep around. And, you know, obviously he got poached <laughs> by Boise State. I think one of the things for me to keep a lookout for, Rob, was um, when I saw the news, I'm like, oh, I wonder if he's going to be able to poach some, uh, some, you know, of the staff at Oregon to go with him. And that really doesn't seem to be the case. It looks like the only person he's pulled so far has been a grad assistant. Um, so what, what are some of the names here that you've heard thrown around and, you know, connected to that job? You know, and, like, I think the the Oregon job I would I would argue maybe the Washington defensive coordinator job the the USC job um you know I think those are three programs where you do see big names and I kind of tend to believe that those names are in the running you know rather than if you're at Arizona and they're like oh they're in the they're you know running for you know like the the hottest offensive coordinator I, I tend to roll my eyes when I hear those stories but with with you know premier programs that have money um it looks like there's some interesting names in play
1: yeah, I mean, the, the the names that are getting kicked around here are, uh, you know, the Seahawks assistant. Um, and this is from Bruce Feldman reporting this. So one of the more reliable names in college football reporting, um, you know, the Seahawks assistant, Clint Hurt. They had kicked around Texas, uh, former the Texas defensive coordinator, Chris Ash. He's actually going to go coach with Urban Meyer with the Jags. Defensive coordinator at Tennessee, um, Derek Ansley, um, who's good. Uh, and, and that'd be a decent name to get. Um, they just brought on Kevin Steele who had been Auburn's defensive coordinator and sort of an unnamed staff role there. So they do feel like there may be some pressure on him. Tosh LePoy, who's the run game coordinator for the Falcons um, and who I joke around as a bit of a, like a recruiting nuclear weapon in college football. Who's just sitting around on the pro. I mean, he is, he's one of the best recruiters even at Washington at Cal at Alabama. Um, Lapoy, you know, repeatedly showed himself to be one of the best uh, recruiters in college football. And, and we, did not, it did not work out with him calling plays at Bama, um, Zach Arnett, Mississippi state defensive coordinator. He's an interesting name. He was the defensive coordinator at San Diego state got picked up by Mike Leach. Um, you know, a really, uh, a guy that runs that Rocky long three, three, five, um, viewed as a bit of an up and comer in the profession. The uh, co-defensive coordinator at Georgia, Glenn Shulman, and then army defensive coordinator, Nate Woody, who I'm a little less high on, but, uh, you know, there are some really interesting names there. And as you can tell, uh, you know, none of, none of those names are going to, you know, would have come in You know, cheap Oregon. Oregon's got some money to go out and throw on this.
0: You know, taking a look at their stats from or Oregon's defensive stats from 2020, is there anything that you want to see the most improvement in? Like any any particular metric that was kind of like, oh, well, you know, I didn't didn't necessarily see that happening. Sometimes like teams will give up a lot of like negative or they'll be bad at negative drives or like efficiency or anything. But anything pop out on on your end in terms of what? Yeah, I
1: mean the the thing that they really fell off on year to year is their their drive, you know, their drive efficiency. So. Um, they went from number five overall in beta rank and drive efficiency down to number 51. Um, they still were good at, you know, containing big plays, you know, containing explosive drives. Um, you know, they didn't force, I mean, uh, the other thing this year too, of course, they didn't force enough negative drives. I mean, not enough three and outs. I mean, the the, the play calling and execution just, it just wasn't there as much this year. And we saw, you know, them struggle at times. Uh, in particular, they were at 30 overall in uh, effective rush in beta rank. They struggled with their, uh, you know, getting off blocks, um, you know, and getting things done. So I, I, I do think that there's definitely some, some work to be done off of what they had this year. And I, I'm, I don't mean that as that I think Avalos is doing a bad job. I just, I, I think they had, a, I think they had a tough year out there this year. So there's, there's things to, to, to clean up on tape.
0: Can you define drive efficiency for maybe some people that uh, have joined the podcast or just aren't as uh, up on advanced stats?
1: Yeah. So uh, drive efficiency is whether you're able to put together like controlling for a uh, field position and opponent and taking out, of course, like, I mean, like, cause there we control for explosive drives in there as well. Um, and negative drives and three and outs. Um, are you able to put together long drives to be able to put up points, right? Like not relying on big plays. Um, and, and this is a hard thing to do in college football. The best offenses do it. The best defenses often prevent it. Um, you know, are you able to string together, you know, nine plays, you know, to put up a, to put up a touchdown, um, or if you're a defense, like, do you not give up long drives? Like, are you able to find ways to get off the field? Um, you know, and, and those things are important, right? And, you know, Oregon was pretty good at containing explosive drives. Like they didn't give up a lot of points off of big, you know, drives that were, you know, mostly big plays. Um where they gave up points was very often uh, you know, that they were unable to to get off the field. Teams were able to to put together and execute against this team.
0: Okay. Yeah, and like I was taking a look at the the rushing numbers too, and I think you mentioned that they were thirtieth in beta rank this year. Um that 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 was about right. And I I would assume that they had dipped below that in a few games because, like, oh my gosh, dude! Like, you just run, you can run the ball against Oregon. Uh, that that was not what I was anticipating. And they had some injuries in the the linebacking court and all that stuff. But the defensive line, for the most part, was actually uh, pretty intact this year. But yeah, anyway, um, it's something to look out for when uh, when they pick up the new coordinator, and we'll make sure to cover that uh, that hire and um, and what it means for um oregon and also like we'll we'll use a lot of the beta rank numbers to kind of highlight the history of whomever they hire like what they were able to do um in a in as long as it's in college we don't have the pro stats here um but anyway we'll, we'll keep an eye on that as we move forward there's also a really interesting um departure uh down in the pac-12 south we have a couple other uh, coaching changes to talk about we're going to do it right after this are right, back we're back and rob they turn on the twitter machine uh, to look and see that Colorado fired their defensive coordinator Tyson Summers. So that, I was not expecting that. That certainly was something that uh, really popped out to me. Uh, what did you think when you saw that news?
1: I was a little surprised. Uh, you know that that and you know it's it's fair for. I, I think it's fair. You know that. Uh, you know you're going to want your own guy necessarily in there, right? Um, you know, but the defense this season was was the better of the two units. Really, I mean not by much, but, you know, was the better of the two units for Colorado and and Carl Durrell. Um, I was a little surprised to see Summers, who was decent. You know, I mean, they were at 50 overall in beta rank this year. Um, You know, and that's an improvement even from where they were the year before, where they were at 76. And they had some good, I mean, they had some, you know, decent numbers. Their drive efficiency was pretty good at 31. Um, You know, and they made huge, huge strides from where they were the year before against the pass. I just, I was... I mean, I guess I was a little surprised just because I felt like this Colorado team, um, if there's one unit that I thought had it a little better this year, it was the defense um, to, to see this move. Uh, yeah, it was it was just, I, I don't think a lot of people really saw this one coming.
0: Yeah, it was it was interesting. And, uh, you know, Summers came over with Mel Tucker. I think he was a. Uh like a quality control, uh, was that his history there at Georgia? We were a little worried about that in the beginning. I remember, I recall that.
1: Yeah, he had been a, well, he had, like, I think he had been on staff at Georgia. He had been a head coach before, I think at Georgia state or Georgia Southern, um, you know, and a defensive coordinator before that. But, um, yeah, he had, he, he was one of the guys that got, uh, I think Tucker, Tucker filled out a lot of his staff from guys that he knew personally, I think that had been, uh, yeah, like, uh, off the field assistants.
0: Yeah. This struck out for me, uh, more just because of the improvement that Colorado saw. Um, now, now one thing to keep in mind, like I watched a lot of those Colorado games and they did give up a decent number of points. This was a condensed season, et cetera, et cetera. So like, um, you know, when we say there was improvement, I mean they were still like 50, which is not a great Power Five defense. So you know, we're not saying like you know Colorado was was an elite defense or even uh, a defense that uh, it was like in the upper quadrant of college football. With that said, though, there was certainly improvement. Like you mentioned, Rob, they went from 76 uh, last year in Beta Rank to 50. A couple really big jumps for me. The the one that stood out for for the that we were really really concerned about headed into the this year was the pass defense. They were 112th in Beta Rank last year, um, and this year they they were twenty fifth. And there was just so many, like, question marks all over that. Like, we were listening to um, uh, the SB Nation Colorado podcast. We've been kind of following that. And we weren't as concerned about the front seven, especially with, like, Nate Landman there. And uh, you had, like, the defensive line, which is pretty good. But it was just, like, can they even stop anybody? And to have a top 25 <laughs> pass defense by the end of the year, uh, pretty impressive. And then we just talked about drive efficiency. And you highlighted that they were in, like, top 30. But basically, uh, they were they were sub 100. And so you saw these, like, two really, really big improvements in the defense and um you know i guess sometimes you want your own guy one other thing to mention too was that um colorado also fired their strength coach drew wilson so um it looks like you know it looks like they're just trying to kind of shore up um a staff that's that they're comfortable with there but you know i think one of the the interesting things for me is that uh, there's a lot of a lot of really good players that should return back to Colorado. Nate Landman um, is taking that extra year. So he'll be back. Um, And I I think there's some interesting pieces here. Uh, We'll see who they end up hiring.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely, uh, you know, I think, and there is some chatter that their defensive line coach, um, who was a prior defensive coordinator in Mississippi state and was pretty good, um, might be in the mix. Uh, It'll just be, uh, I guess I, I find it interesting that they stood pat on Chiaverini, um, who I, I'm, is, is very popular with the players there and seems to also be popular with the administration uh, as the offensive coordinator. I mean, if, if Darrell really wanted, you know, his folks in place and you, you know, it's your job. I mean, you're, you you need to have people that you have faith in to succeed. Um, I just thought it was odd to make the move on Summers, um, you know, because Darrell was in an odd spot. I mean, he got hired very late in the cycle. You know, it's very hard to fill out a staff that late. Um. So he was going to have some holdovers, uh, you know, so I get it. I mean, Summers may not have been the guy that he really wanted, and he may have just gone with them because it was so late last year.
0: Yeah, Chris Wilson is the uh, defensive line coach that is under consideration. I'm sure there's some other names that are being floated around, but um, uh, when the, the last uh, article that I would read had him as uh, being somebody to keep your eye out for. Yeah, that was interesting. You know, when you took a look at, At Colorado's offense, there were certainly some uh, bright spots. Brassard and his ability to uh, just get significant yards, the offensive line opening holes for him was interesting. And, you know, Chivarini was somebody that uh, clearly, <laughs> um, you know, look, I, I wasn't the best when I first got my big job. You know, like you learn on the job and you kind of improve and um, you kind of pick up the pieces and move forward. And they gave him another chance. Um, it's kind of hard. I think that the grade for Colorado's defense is an incomplete just because, I mean, the quarterback play had a clear ceiling to it. And, um, and it was fun watching, um, you know, uh, it was fun watching their quarterback play play um and I was kind of rooting for him as like an underdog but like clearly th- there was a cap on what he was able to do um through the air so let's see what happens I mean it might still be you know I, they had that freshman that that came in uh, that was in the running and one of the, one of the higher recruits that they've they've had at the quarterback spot so um I think it's going to be a really a prove it year for Chiverini next year is is that fair
1: Yeah I think that's fair I mean really at this point for for him he's he's got to you know take the step forward otherwise I mean Otherwise he's, he's going to be one of those position coaches that may eventually get their shot to be a head coach at a group of five level or, um, you know, but I, I don't know that if he, if he's not able to pull it together next year, that he's, he's going to continue getting offensive coordinator shots.
0: Let's stay in the south here. There's some other changes that have been happening. One one that was kind of a, a long time coming, I think, um, and that was the head scratching decision from Clay Helton to make Tim Drevno the offensive line coach. I mean, like he had a background, and Alicia De Artola talked about this. Hitler Day talked about this. Like the USC fan base talked about this. Um, it was just kind of a weird uh, decision to get a running game, you know, pass pro, you know, <laughs> pass protection coordinator, um, in as your offensive line coach. And uh, so Tim Drevno is now out on the offensive line, along with strength coach. Uh, also, they, they fired their strength coach as well. Um, I don't know that that always just seemed really weird and uncomfortable. Um, and and really, the offensive line has has been a weakness for USC for for a couple of years here, Rob.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's you know we've commented on this because I think a lot of people incorrectly. I'll I'll just like incorrectly blame USC's struggles to run the football on not calling enough run plays, and that's actually dead wrong. Like USC calls a lot of runs. Like Graham Harrell calls a lot of runs. It's not the air raid that prevents USC from running the football well. It's bad offensive line coaching. Um, And they they've they've ranked at I mean even before Harrell got there they were at 96 in effective rush and beta rank offensively. In 2018, the year before that, they were only at 57. Um, you know, they were at you know, and of course, the last two years, they were at 109 and then 104. I mean, it's just, you know, this is this is coaching, right? I mean, this is they have really, really struggled to to get it put together and running the football. And it all comes down to like when you watch these guys play, like they're just they're unable to to really both from a schematic um, and and what they're being taught. Um, and out of block, they're just not doing a good job. So they, they really needed to make this change. This is long overdue.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad that they did, you know, (laughs) maybe too little too late. Although, uh, Clay Helton has nine lives there in USC. So, um, but it is good to see, you know, programs that are trying to, to get better. Um, try to, try to move to do that. And so hopefully the next offensive line coach, um, is able to, to shore up that unit. Cause if they do, I think obviously USC has um, some bright spots on their offense. The running game was certainly not part of it this year. Um, and we'll see whether that's the case moving forward. The, speaking of offensive line, uh, down in Tempe, we have a new offensive line coach, Clayton Adams hired as Arizona state's offensive line coach. The, one of the things that's difficult, uh, I think for this show, um, and, and that's why I like having the film study guys on, um, because they can kind of go through and and highlight certain offensive lines, whether they're you know whether they did a really good job. You can see it's obviously in the numbers. Can they can a the team rush? What's their you know yards per rush? Um, you know how well do they do at protecting the quarterback? But there's a lot of um, you know that that's like the first level. The second level is is a lot more complicated than that. Um, and that's sometimes it's hard to determine whether or not an offensive line coach is good or not. You kind of have to rely on what other coaches say and all that stuff. Uh, with that said, so. Uh, Clayton Adams here for ASU was uh, an assistant uh, offensive line coach with the Indianapolis Colts, and I just one thing to mention: um, Joe Gilbert was the offensive line coach for the Indianapolis Colts, and he worked out really well for Arizona the one year he was there, and then he went back to yeah. the NFL because he was good. And, and I watched watched him coach, and um, he just like treated players with respect um like knew all their names immediately like you know was was a really really good coach so um hopefully that you know i'm not certain if adams was there when gilbert was there but if if he was like it's a you know never a bad thing to to be uh, under somebody that really um has his act together and is a good role model um you know they, they replaced dave christensen who retired in 2020 and um you know, like, he spent some time with the with the Buffs. Uh, he was the running back's tight ends and did some offensive line work um, when he was with McIntyre there. So, what did you think of ASU's offensive line this year? It seemed like, I mean, they were able to get the ball moving on the ground. Um, it wasn't like Daniels was, was running for his life this year. I, I thought there was certainly some improvement there, and... um and he he may have some some pieces to work with. They they have a ton of transfers. They, by the way, they've recruited like eighteen offensive linemen in like the last two uh, recruiting cycles. I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but it is pretty high. And then they got another four star kid out of North Carolina uh, to come. So uh, really trying to to shore that lineup. And if they do, I think ASU is a uh, um, you know on a trajectory to to be consistently competitive in the Pac-12 South.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought the offensive line got a lot better this year. I thought you know, and I I. I joke about, you know, like transfers, like mileage may vary on transfers. And I still think that's true. Um, but I thought ASU's transfers for the most part really worked out for them. Um, you know, this this year and, um, they really, they, they did, they, they improved considerably. I am, you know, interested to see what this, how their numbers shake out in a full year with some, you know, pac 12, you know, some non pac 12 in there (laughs) too. Um, you know, but I I think that if you're you know if you're an ASU fan, you have to be pretty excited about where they ended up with this year on the offensive line. It they weren't the line ended up being a lot less of the weak point in the um you know in the offense than they were the year before, uh, for sure. Right? I mean, they the 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 offensive line wasn't holding them back. So um, I think a real you know the and as you mentioned, like anytime you get the uh, you know an assistant offensive line coach from the pros, like that that's a good step, right? Like the, that that's likely gonna be a good hire. You don't end up, you know, being the 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 you know the, the second the the assistant to the offensive line coach, if you will, uh, at a pro team by not knowing what you're doing.
0: Yeah, and it, it sticks with the the theme that Herm is trying to build in Tempe, which is you know, a lot of ties to the NFL. Um, And then, you know, bringing on some younger recruiting guys that can really get the job done. And that certainly has happened with Antonio Pierce. And um, anyway, just like you can see the vision of that team move forward. We were talking about this. We'll get to Arizona and their hires um, a little bit later in the podcast. But one one of the things that we talked about a lot offline was, uh, you know, comparing ASU to Arizona, where Arizona, there wasn't. Um, like you didn't know what that program was. Like you had Kevin Sumlin and he made some interesting hires. Um, but like, what was Arizona football? It was a mess <laughs> like outside of that. Uh, there really wasn't this idea for what it is. Whereas, you know, if you're, if you're getting a pitch, from Kevin Sumlin, and you were getting a pitch from Herm Edwards, Edwards highlighted the NFL ties, um, you know, like, and just has like this leadership, like idea. Um, And you can just see that you can just see that throughout the program. And I think that's a sign of good leadership um, in general. So um, it'll be interesting to see how ASU is able to shore up the offensive line and really keep it going uh, even stronger than it was last year. Uh, because they have some pieces. Uh, let, let's stay in Tempe here, Rob. Uh, Marvin Lewis is, uh, you know, he might get another job in the NFL again. He's, he seems to be floating around a lot here uh, with the Lions, with the Jets. Uh, I don't know. It, like, if he leaves, you know, like, it, it was tough this year, right? It was his first year um, as the official defensive coordinator. You know, he did a lot of consulting work for them um, in previous years. And, and from, from what everything I've been told and read, pretty hands-on on that front. Um, he leaves that that's kind of a a hole uh, for the program. And um, it seems like he has left a good imprint on that. He may, he may return, but what did you think about uh, seeing those stories pop out here and there?
1: I thought he was really good this year as the defensive coordinator. And I, I think if you're ASU, you would, you would view that potentially as a big loss. And I know that people really like Antonio Pierce there. There's a, there's just a, there's a big difference between Marvin Lewis and his play calling expertise and what you what you may have in Antonio Pierce there, right? Like, and I, I think Pierce particularly shines and has, you know, reached the, the point where he is, you know, continues to get titles and, you know, you know, you know raises. Um, I, I think part of that is his, you know, his excellent ability with team building and, and, and recruiting, uh, you know, the the, if you're ASU, it's going to be, I mean, there, there's going to, I think there will be, if, if Lewis departs, a lot of pressure to, to hand over play calling duties to Pierce. And I'm not saying it's not going to work out, but you, we really don't know, right? Like we haven't seen Pierce call plays. So um, I would, I mean, if you're an ASU fan, you're really hoping Lewis sticks because I think he did a really good job this year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Kudos all around to that program. And again, uh, it was Cal and ASU were the two teams I wish we'd have seen more of this year. Um and uh, you know it was what it was at least we got some football out of it uh, a couple more hires that I want to cover but there's some other stuff that that popped up I thought was interesting and I've been starting to go through the transfer portal and just being able to report on like which teams are picking up which players and stuff so just know that that's coming um, and which players are departing like one of the things that was super under the radar was like Ashari Crosswell and Jack Jones were suspended um, from ASU like and that that was a really big deal and Crosswell as far as I've read is like not returning um, so they're um, you know want to make sure To keep tabs on that and like keep you all updated as we uh, move through the season. But a couple just real quick things here Elijah Hicks decided to stay at Cal. Um, Ethan Garbers joins the uh, the Exodus Rob of quarterbacks that did not get the starting job from <laughs> Seattle down to uh, Westwood. Uh, Jared Gu- Guaratano, I think, is how you pronounce his name. He was the the quarterback at Tennessee, has now transferred to Washington State to add some competition there to Jaden Delora and Max Borgi. Returning, uh, he's decided to come back to the Palouse. Uh, you know, you want to comment on any of those stories?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's some really interesting ones there. I mean. Uh... The, the Garber's news is, is, I think, a little less interesting, I suppose. Um, I mean, maybe Dorian Thompson Robinson doesn't hold on to that job. I would expect he would, uh, you know, at least for you know, what we might see this next year. Um, but Garantano going to Washington State is a really interesting move. He he has had flashes at Tennessee where he played really, really well. Uh, you know, I think He's definitely going to be in the mix, uh, you know, against Alora. So I would I would expect them to have like a, a fully wide open QB competition there. Borgie coming, you know, Borgie coming back is great. Um I think he he really is gonna have another opportunity to show uh you know what he can do in the offense um, you know, you know, when he's actually playing this year. But um yeah, that's the, I I find that Garantano news like the, the most interesting uh of them all.
0: Yeah, kind of a interesting time there I, I fought one of our uh, our friends at the solid verbal which is a great college football podcast if you haven't listened to them before i highly recommend it you know it was like they're kind of my outlet to um just talking a little bit more uh, about the national scene and stuff and they they were just up and down on uh on the quarterback play at tennessee so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out uh in this coming year i thought delora Was uh, you know, and and you and you and Max pushed back a, a little bit, but I thought Delora was kind of an interesting. Uh, so, oh no you guys push back on on Washington State in general maybe being a little bit more like optimistic about them uh, and what they did this year but Delora just was he was fun to watch and like he certainly was a true yeah. freshman that uh, he made those mistakes he is not the second coming but um you know like I and you've mentioned this before Rob it just seems sometimes when we think about freshman quarterbacks the like, true freshman playing sometimes we we think of like you know oh well why aren't they playing like the true freshman quarterbacks at Alabama and Ohio State <laughs> You know, and like Clemson and, you know, that's just, that's the exception to the rule, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, most of the time when you play a true freshman, you get, you know, uh, you know, JT Daniels type true freshman season, right? Like a lot of true freshmen tend to play a lot like very much true freshmen. There's a handful of like absolute stars that come out and play as, you know, like amazing, amazing true freshmen. And those those guys, I think, cloud our perception a little
0: bit. Can we, can we just talk about JT Daniels, uh, for a moment? Because, um, did you watch that Georgia bowl game?
1: Uh, no, I just, I, I caught the, uh, I caught the, the stats, some of the highlights.
0: Yeah, it was, um, you know, people were were getting a little worked up about, about how well he was playing. And then, and then he kind of just looked like the JT Daniels at USC. Um, it, it was really interesting. I. I Um, you know, with a year under his belt now, I know it's a a new offense and stuff. But um, anyway, like, that's just something to keep an eye out for, because he came in highly touted. Obviously, they had some issues at the quarterback position at Georgia, and he could be the guy moving forward. But uh, there were a couple more 50-50 balls and some YOLO offense there. And um, I don't know. I know. I I just uh, I'm I'm really fascinated to see whether or not he can really turn it on. And I hope he does at Georgia um, on that big, you know, stage uh, now on the East Coast rather than the West Coast. So Um, just it was kind of fun seeing him on the field and being like, oh, yep, seen that before. (laughs) Hey, let's move on. We have a couple more coaching hires to report on, and let's do it right after this. All right, we're back. And we've talked about getting into the Arizona coaching hire, one of the things that we didn't want to do is lead with Arizona. Uh, Rob and I are both alums for the program. Uh, very, very agnostic, to be frank, alums right now, uh, watching that program go. That's why it's fun to watch the uh, the entire conference because uh, this podcast started from covering the conference um, and, and really rating the teams that were going to play Arizona. And then we just got so sucked into the conference itself that, um, we actually appreciate covering the entire conference. Um, and Arizona certainly needed a facelift this year. Um, and we've talked about this before where we were kind of excited about some of the hires that someone made, but just the whole program was so flat and just had no momentum to it and no identity. And, uh, other than being like kind of a bottom dweller, um, and then you had a, you had an exodus of players I think they had like four scholarship players or five five players on scholarship in the secondary um, in that ASU game you had the departure of Tony fields you had the departure of Scotty young you had the departure of Colin schooler uh, and there's just this you could just tell that 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 the wheels were were real rickety on there um, and I was hoping that the Senior leadership of some of the staff, like the old hands that they were bringing in, would up the play. And that happened in the USC game, not so much in most of the other games. And so here we are with Jed Fish being the head coach, Rob. And um, and we've talked like some knee-jerk reactions from this uh, the initial hire and what we thought about it. So I kind of wanted to talk more from the offensive side of the ball uh, because uh, Jed Fish had just hired uh, Brennan Carroll, who's Pete Carroll's son, who was the offensive line. Uh, he was doing offensive line stuff uh, for Seattle as the offensive coordinator. But really, it's it's likely going to be Jed Fish calling the plays, right?
1: Yeah, Fish is your play caller, uh, and he's been. I mean, I, I just he's been really good. As, I mean, in particular, like I, you know, in uh, in 2017, when he took over UCLA's offense and really had to clean up what had been a mess, um, you know, that had been left by the prior offensive coordinator. For you remember when Jim Mora tried to implement like the He-Man offense, like we're just gonna we're gonna dominate, and then they they finished 100 in beta rank. Yeah. Brutal. <laughs> and, uh, Fish really cleaned that up. They went from 100 all the way up to 34. Um, but they, they finished that year at number six in effective pass and Rosen wasn't healthy all year. Uh, you know, they had, uh, uh, what was his name? The, the, the quarterback at Cal that, uh, monster, like he had monster for a couple games in there too. Um, and finished at number six in effective pass. I mean, fished, uh, I, they, you know, people raved about his offense and what he was able to bring in for the passing game in Michigan. Um, you know, he's you know, I, I think having fish as your play caller is, is a big improvement, you know, step up from what, we, you know, what we had seen from Mazzoni. even though I, I think I wouldn't necessarily finger point and say that Mazzoni ended up being the problem on the Arizona offense. Like, <laughs> I think the offensive line, I think the most important hire might be that, you know, Brennan Carroll hire, uh, you know, for that Arizona offense.
0: Yeah, you know the, the history of fish here. So in twenty twenty, he was the quarterback coach for the Pat, uh, the Pats, the Patriots. Paul, apologies. Um, he was an offensive coach, and I, I put air quotes around that because i don't know what that means but he was an offensive coach for the rams in 2018 and 2019 uh the ucla offensive coordinator 2017 you mentioned his time at michigan so he was there from 2015 to 2016 and the offenses there were interesting beta rank um in 2015 was it was the 16th best offense in the country um uh, in beta rank um, and jake rudock was the quarterback when he was there uh Had a bit of of a dip in 2016, although he had Wilton Spade as the quarterback here. They dropped to about 41. Um, So, you know, he he kept them competitive. um, And and certainly, you know, he was the Jaguars offensive coordinator. Um, He was the Miami offense coordinator. So really a long history there. And his Miami offense was uh, top 35 when he was there. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. The thing that worries me a little bit, if you're an Arizona fan, is that um, you know, Brandon Carroll has the name. You know, like he's Pete Carroll's son and all that stuff, and he's with the Seahawks. He has NFL ties. Another staff, by the way, that is really highlighting their their ties to the NFL as they accrue. Um, you know, coaches with experience there. Uh, but like, you know, when you think of the Seattle Seahawks, the offensive line doesn't strike me as the uh, the beacon of the fortress there. <laughs> uh, that that they've relied on to be excellent. In fact, the offensive line has really been the weakness of uh, Seattle. So I don't know, like. Right. We, we've talked about the offensive line of Arizona being one of the worst in the country. What do you think about bringing on a, a pro coach that that's covered, you know, that's coached the offensive line? Uh, but, you know, one that, that's really been a weakness for that team for multiple years.
1: I mean, I think, you know, Carroll, he's he's a guy that Fish coached with at Miami. Um, you know, I, I think Carroll is a, you know, again, like he may not have been the best, you know, offensive line coach in, the, in professional football. But I think he should be fine in college. <laughs> like, I think the, I think the step down and uh, amongst his peers too, uh, will help a bit. Um, you know, and I, I, I think that for, for this, like Carol is a, a noted recruiter, um, you know, from his time at Miami too. um, you know, Arizona is going to have to be able to bring in some talent, but also, I mean, really coach up what they had. I mean, they, they really fell off last year. I mean, I, I, I would view it as an improvement clearly over where they were, um, you know, and, the, you you if you're an Arizona fan, you're just hoping it it gets to the point where they can you know it can you know not be the glaring weakness that they were uh, you know last year.
0: Yeah, well we'll we'll see. Um and and frankly the talent there has been. Uh, pretty brutal in terms of what they've been able to recruit on the offensive line. So um, let's see if there's an uptick there and uh, or, or whether or not Carroll can really get that unit working as a unit and not as a, you know, five individuals on the line. So uh, but that that's certainly the biggest area that Arizona needs to improve if it wants to be even remotely competitive in 2021. But the biggest hire, Rob, uh, was, you know, for whatever reason, Arizona gets all the cast-offs, the sloppy seconds of of Michigan. And here's another one. Uh, Don Brown, who was dismissed as the defensive coordinator at Michigan. um, And and I I joke, right, because, like, obviously Rich Rodriguez, uh, you know, being uh, fired from Michigan comes down to Arizona. But Don Brown, like Rich Rodriguez, has a pretty solid history and track record of putting together some good defenses.
1: Yeah, Brown is a guy. I mean, uh, Brown's a guy that uh, I mean they fell off the map. I mean, all the way down to one sixteen in Beta Rank this year. Um, you know, they had so they didn't have a lot of returning production. They had some injuries. They had some opt outs. They had a lot go wrong. Um, but you know, prior to that, put together some really good defenses for the Wolverines. Uh, and I, you know, in Beta Rank, you know, he has you know, out of his five years there, uh, three of those years are in the top fifteen overall. Um, you know, prior to this year, his worst year overall was in 2018, where they were at 27, which I mean, if you're in Arizona, you would take 27 all day, <laughs> 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 given, given where things have been. Uh, but I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think this is a very good hire. Some of the, you know, the, the negatives I have seen thrown around about this. Um, have mostly been around like Brown can't do it without Michigan type talent. I'm like, dude, did you guys see how he, he was a great coach at Boston college and Boston college certainly is not a recruiting destination. Um, you know, putting together top 15 defenses there at Boston college in beta rank. So I, I just, I has like, I think this is, like I said, like, I think this is a very good hire for Arizona. He may not be on the upswing of his career. Um, but I think when you look at the staff that fish put together, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of pretty good experience, I think. That you know, I I think if you look top to bottom, you have to feel like most of the most of the positions were an upgrade over the, the prior. And certainly, I think Don Brown is an upgrade.
0: Yeah, like you mentioned, uh, 27 being the lowest uh, defense that he had outside of this year and this year. But holy Moses, like. <laughs> so I like, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he can put some uh, pieces back to uh, to work at Arizona. The other team that he was a uh, defensive coordinator for was also those uh, UConn teams where they had um, I think it was Randy Etzel and some of those those defenses. He had a top 20 defense at UConn also. So to jump from UConn to Boston College, where he had the number two defense in, in to uh, 2015. Um, that's pretty impressive uh, to be able to do that at Boston College. Let's see if he can do that at Arizona. Um I mean, like, right? What are expectations, and they're they're low. So when it comes to uh, making hires like this, I think it's worth Arizona to take a risk um, on somebody that was just fired that had just a, a god awful <laughs> defense this year, uh, but with a really long track record of, of top thirty defenses at any, everywhere he's gone. So, um, and and the Doctor Blitz, you know, what did you think about the Doctor Blitz nomen uh, nomenclature they they gave him over there?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're Arizona, I mean, like, you might as well. You know the complaints that somehow like pressure is not going to work. Like not pressuring didn't work either. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, it just seems like um, you know, it it's it's an interesting mix of hires uh, that Fish has done that um could work out or could not, and uh, but but like it, it's one, some of those are like kind of swing for the fences, um, but not as much downside I think uh for some of them. So you know like we'll we'll see how Arizona bounces back this coming year. I don't I don't expect much of them. I did I wasn't really impressed with Plummer um as the quarterback there although he was running for his life the whole time. They kind of threw him to the the Wolves uh, as a true yeah. freshman. So um but they're like I know Arizona just lost their um their you know, premier, I use premier in air quotes, but like they're three-star quarterback, uh, just uh, decommitted. So look for them to go to the transfer portal possibly and bring somebody in that can be competitive. But, um, they, they're it's, I think it's going to be, uh, uh, at least a two year project to get them to respectability here, um, in the coming years. But, Anything else, Rob? I, I that's kind of I mean, and again, we'll go through all the uh, the transfers and, and all that stuff. So I'm I'm documenting that stuff now. So we'll keep an eye on that. And there's also you know who do these who do these teams hire? You know who's Colorado hire? Who's Oregon hire? Um, and we have we have a lot of things that uh, we're we uh, are keeping our eye on that we'll be able to cover through the offseason. Again, thanks to Nextiva for um, just kind of giving us the help to be able to keep going through the offseason when there's uh, less to talk about, but some really important X's and O's and items. And we also have the the film guys that we want to bring on but um anything coming up that you want to talk about rob
1: no like i said it's a little bit of the quiet season at beta rank like so you can check out all the you know the the final rankings um you know they're up after the the title game uh you know to to check out but uh, i'm excited for uh, to start getting ready and prepping for uh, you know a, a really full college football season again <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, for, for real. Um, all right, well, everybody, thank you for sticking with us. We will catch you next week, and look forward to covering the conference throughout the off season.